0: we
1: have to be who we are and we have to not try to compare ourselves to people it's a it is a ticket for failure to to want to be somebody other than who we are and so we have to stay within our lanes and develop that lane versus trying to be somebody else and compare ourselves it's very fruitless to go that way
2: i'm michael max and this is geological all businesses make a promise And to the extent that we keep those promises, we have the opportunity to continue with our business. To the extent that we exceed those promises, we not only get to continue with our business, it probably thrives as well. Many of us have the kinds of practices we do because of the broken promises of conventional medicine. The pill that failed to deliver its prime time promise. The procedure that didn't help. In fact, now life is more difficult. And the promise that vested interest funded research would alleviate the uncertainty that comes with most medical treatment. But how many of those so-called evidence-based insurance-funded procedures have worked for the patients that arrived in your office? I suspect enough didn't to help you make a tidy living. Conventional medicine promises certainty. And when I look at my practice and the way I've talked to people over the years, I too have attempted to cozy up to the deep need we have for certainty. But as time has gone on, I've come to realize that the work we do, and really, the work our colleagues do with their forms of medicine as well, well, we all do the best we can with what we got. But often enough, there's just not much certainty in our kind of work. That's partly why medical professionals have patients sign a consent to treat. And on that, we list out all the ways that things might go wrong. We do what we can to minimize uncertainty. We all feel better that way. And I'm wondering... If there might be a way to speak to the uncertain nature of medicine, the uncertain nature of life and how this world unfolds and invite it in, to let uncertainty have a voice in our work. What if this cancer treatment doesn't work? What if this pain that threatens the way you work is actually a partner for life? What if the black hole of despair isn't medicatable? Those monsters we had under the bed when we were eight years old, I suspect they're still with us, but we don't talk about them like we did when we were eight years old. Uncertainty isn't comfortable. We shore up our lives against it with insurance policies, emergency cash funds, good diets, proper exercise, lucky charms, and perhaps a modicum of denial. Uncertainty is a great way to sell a product or service that promises to eliminate or at least minimize it. You might promise certainty in your work. It no doubt will draw people to you, but do keep in mind that you're making a promise here. And in the long term, businesses that keep their promises, they tend to have more longevity. And there's a congruence that arises when we embrace the uncertainty that something might not work. And it tends to lead to greater integrity, more trust, and perhaps even better outcomes in the face of uncertainty when we pay more attention to it. I've got a question for you. Be honest here. Notice what's the first word that pops into your mind when I say wood organ. Did you say liver? If you're like most practitioners, you probably did. In our training, most of us have acquired the bias that the yin organs are more important than the yang organs. So, for example, if you're thinking about, air quotes here, treating dampness, you probably would be sure to include some points on the spleen meridian and perhaps on the kidney as well. But dampness is best treated by boosting up the dryness in the body. And the yangming is the driest of the six ching. And of the two yangming organs in the body, the metal yangming is about as dry as you can get. So the next time you're looking to deal with issues of dampness, consider leaving the spleen alone, but tonify the large intestine, to boost up the parching influence of the yangming metal. Since studying the sam system for the past year, I found that whenever there is some dampness that needs drying, the large intestine is often a really good place to start. If you're an herbalist, you'll already know that a lot of the again air quotes here spleen tonic formulas, they contain a not small amount of herbs that dry and drain fluids. Really, What we're looking at here is using the body's proper physiology to address areas where the physiology is a bit out of whack. In today's conversation, we're discussing confidence, yeah, that elusive feeling that lets us feel good about ourselves when we're trying to help people and we're not sure if we have what it takes to help. Our self-image and our self-talk can really assist or hinder in the practice of medicine and sometimes leaving us wondering if we might be better off being a barista or a bartender or maybe going back to school for more initials after our name. Putting ourselves squarely in front of uncertainty and working so intimately with the general public, it's no easy thing. It requires some cultivation and it requires some fortitude. Let's get into it. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. (music)
0: Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
2: Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code GEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Dennis von Elg, welcome to GEOLOGICAL.
1: Thanks, Michael. Super happy to be here.
2: Yeah, we had some conversation a while back. We were talking on the phone. Man, we were gabbing... For a while, I wish I'd been rolling tape back then. And and what we were talking about, I mean, you've been a longtime teacher of, of Chinese medicine. We're going to get into that in a moment. And uh, what we were talking about was how students, and especially how new practitioners, go through that journey of acquiring some confidence in what they do, and just how essential that is, and that it's not really something that you can teach in schools, but it's like a you know a path that you can go down and then life can kind of, you know, give you the lessons that you need. Where I'd like to begin with this is what originally brought you into doing Chinese medicine and then what got you involved in teaching?
1: Yeah, um, those are great questions and everybody has their stories and I certainly have mine. I was always interested in Asian culture and Asian arts. And the first thing that that got me was um, I had an unfortunate incident where I was placing my bicycle on a bike rack on the back of a car using a bungee cord and the bungee cord slipped off and smashed me in the eye. And I felt like I got hit by Muhammad Ali. Um, knocked me out cold. Um, I was left with, a, of course, a concussion and an eyeball filled with blood. Sorry to get graphic right from the start here. But the, the headaches were so brutal and the, the, the vision was so battered that I couldn't go to a job I had in the mountains that summer. Um, At least I was told that by my doctors. And I went and I saw Michael Tierra down in Santa Cruz. And uh, they were telling me I was down for two weeks, maybe a month. And uh, due to the treatments that him and his wife gave me, I left for the mountains about five days later and able to do the work that I did in the mountains. So that was pretty striking.
2: Literally, (laughs) that catches your attention, doesn't it? Oh, hey! By the way, it's impossible—you're not going to the mountains—and five days later, you're in the mountains.
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, it it was my—you know—everybody looks forward to their summer work when you're young, and and that was that was my job, and I, I was thrilled to be able to do that. And and then the next time I had acupuncture, this was really striking too. I was in the mountains and backpacking, and my back went out, and I couldn't backpack out of the mountains. And there was a guy there who was an acupuncturist, and he had needles. And I did a couple of treatments over two days. And the next, that day, I put on my backpack and walked out of the mountains. Um, so, you know, you you have those kinds of experiences. They stick with you, of course. And then that led me down a path of, I, I always wanted to kind of work with living things. I have a degree in horticulture. Uh, and uh, working with people was part of something that I certainly enjoyed. And then how I became a teacher, again, it came out of a, a, a mishap. Um, I got in a bad car accident and I... Boy, your mishaps are really fortunate, aren't they? I? I, look, I look forward to them at this point, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So my car was in the shop, and I had to take a bus home from Oakland to Berkeley. Um, but my last patient of the day happened to live about six blocks from my home, and I, she offered a ride home to Berkeley for me. And I said, sure, thank you. And, and she said, can I take you home? I said, no, just drop me off by your house or near your house, and I'll just walk home. It was a gorgeous summer afternoon. As I was walking home, um, right between her her home and my home, I saw a building that said the Acupuncture and Integrative Medicine College, and I thought, "Wow, what did that go in there?" And so I walked over there and uh, went to go walk in, and the door was locked. I shook it a couple times and then and then walked away. And then as I was walking away, the door opened up, and. a head poked out and said, can I help you? And I said, Oh no, it's okay. I'm just, a am an acupuncturist. And I just was sort of curious as to this new school here. And um, it was Dr. Ota who was the president of, of formerly Meiji, now AIMC. And he was very gracious and he invited me in and we had a little chat. And, and about an hour later, I walked out with a job. So wow, it was rather serendipitous. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've been stuck there for, for uh, since 2002 and um, still love teaching as if it was the first day.
2: Wow. Yeah. it It is curious that these – and I love the word that you use, mishap, that these mishaps, these things that at the moment it's like, oh, here's an inconvenience or here's a problem or here's this thing that's gone astray. And it turns out if it wasn't for that, oh, my God, the life that we have would have never opened
0: up.
1: Yeah. I, I mean it's – Basically, the story of of uh, I mean, I look at it sort of the story of Yin and Yang in that Yin presents as a, a a type of chaos, and from that, this Yang direction forms. It's 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 the it's the pivot of so much that happens in, in our in our lives. Um, we have to go through some kind of chaos, and by the same token, t- t- is that if we are too ordered in our life and too stiff in our life and and and, and unwilling to make changes eventually that chaos is going to hit. It's going to all explode on us, right? Well, you know, and it seems that sometimes we need
2: something that will soften us up a bit so that we're actually kind of malleable enough to be changed.
1: Correct. And I think that that's where we walk the path between yin and yang is by keeping it soft and keeping it directed and keeping us fluid, and that fluidity is what allows us to adapt. Without that uh, that fluidity, we as humans become extraordinarily um, vulnerable. And that's where our work really is, is direction as well as fluidity. And that's the the bamboo that, that, that has a direction, yet is able to bend in the face of storms and extreme conditions. So
2: I want to swing us back to confidence, confidence in practice. You know, it's mm-hmm. such... It's something that it seems a lot of colleagues talk about, especially people that are just starting out, right? Because, well, let me just tell you a little story here. I I did my training in Seattle back in those days. There were there were three acupuncture schools in Seattle. Uh, mm-hmm. Now there's just two, but back then there were three. And at the end of my third year, um, I had a pretty good sized house back then because I used to work in IT, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's just making a transition into this whole other world. And I had a party, and invited everyone from all the three schools, um, you know, so that people could kind of meet each other and mingle, and you know this is this is my community, right? And we, I was in my third year, I'm about to graduate. There were a number of other people about to graduate. I remember having a conversation with a woman who said, "I can't wait to go. I, I am so ready. I got it down. I'm ready to do this stuff." And i I paused for a moment, and I thought, oh man, I am not sure that I've got what I need. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. I've been exposed to a lot of great stuff. It's super interesting, but I've got this feeling in my gut. One of us is wrong at this moment because she had like, yep, I got it. I understand this. And I was thinking maybe in 10 years, I'm going to understand this. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can inhabit A really wide range of a sense of confidence. And I remember at that time thinking, and this was so clear to me it's like one of us is wrong. It's like you're maybe you're overconfident, or maybe I'm, you know, really not up to the task of doing this. Mm -hmm. And so this thing about confidence. I think it has a lot to do with our personalities and maybe our past life experience. And there's just so many facets to it. I'd love to get your take. I mean, you've watched students for decades now go from not knowing anything to, you know, becoming practitioners. Is there, is there any kind of a, a path that you see that people tend to take with learning confidence or is it very individualized? Love to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and I've been thinking about that a lot because um, I do keep in touch with a lot of my former students and, and I, I love watching them take the various paths that they take. I think that the the biggest asset that uh, they all share, that, that the ones that do well, is they have a thick skin and they're willing to be scared as hell. <laughs> um you, you know they so many of us come from a variety of different uh experiences occupations cultures um our, our stories with our relationships and our and the people in our lives um people have have uh conquered uh you know great hurdles to to get to uh, the point where they get to have that lac behind their name or they're they they're being a licensed acupuncturist and and um there's a lot of sacrifice that goes on in there. You know, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has everything to do with, with, with being able to shake off the, the things that we, that we, you know, initially maybe call a failure. But it really is that, that learning lesson. I've seen some people who they are in practice for many years. And then finally one day they kind of say, you know, I need a shift. And they're willing to extend themselves very readily. And they have a vision. And they, you know, cultivate that vision. They they definitely see themselves in that role. Um, and when they don't, they're willing to just sort of jump anyway. You know, when I first started practicing, I I met somebody who was telling me that her uh, her father had started fourteen businesses in his life, of which um, eight of them failed miserably, and six of them he was able to sell at a tremendous profit. And, wow, six of eight.
3: Yeah, which that is pretty. Is-
1: Pretty great, right?
2: That is a spanking great entrepreneur because, you know, usually it's 20%. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, being an entrepreneur is a terrible way to make money. Right. Right? Most Um, of them fail.
1: Yeah, but he had a a resilience that was uh, so impressive. And I've always held that thought in my mind when when I've struggled and when things didn't go the right way. And, you know, I, um, I also coach baseball. And so I have to teach resilience to my kids. You know, a baseball player, fail, uh, a bat, a hitter fails um, you know, 70% of the time. And it's important for them to walk away from the home plate after striking out with their chin up. Um, you have to be able to have that that short memory that says, I'm going to go back in there and get in the batter's box again. So I see that with, with my students, and I think that that's probably the, the the greatest asset that they can have. Now, all of us are in this field because we want to be helpful, that we want to try to you know, decrease people's suffering. And that has to be kind of in the forefront of, of, I think, our thinking. is. That's what keeps us moving forward. And with every person that we help, we have to hold that, that uh, up as a I don't want to say it's a trophy, but it's something that that says this is why we're doing it. And when the when the people that 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 don't get better, again, we have to have a short memory, and we don't really know t- entirely. It's very difficult to be conclusive as to why they didn't get better or why things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. So we have to keep our eyes on the prize, um, and that's what I I do all the time. Um, After 19 years of practicing, I've had plenty of of situations where patients didn't get the outcomes that that, that I wanted them to, and I keep sharing those stories with with my students. I share those stories more than I do my successes, absolutely, and to let them know that we are humans dealing in a very sophisticated healing art, and healing comes from a lot of different ways. And so that plays into another thing, which is the gifts that we all have because we are uh, we are heart-centered people. And if we acknowledge that and we work from our heart, we can touch a lot of lives very deeply. Um, and that's something that, that I think is something I try to cultivate with my students. Look them in the eyes, you know, the, the, the eyes being the window to the Shen. Look them in the eyes and let them see your eyes as, as from your heart. And I think that that is something that uh, gives us opportunities to make that deep-seated uh, connection between the chi and the essence. And gives us opportunities to really come out of the starting blocks with 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 a lot of vitality. Absolutely, I'm I'm thinking here of a patient that I've
2: got. This is not every patient, right? I mean, some people you can't help them, and they go, "Yeah, yeah that didn't work," and they're gone. But sometimes you do make these connections with people, and and I'm thinking of one patient in particular that I've had that I've got um, who who sticks with me. And I have to tell you, I have actually taken her off the rails more than put her on them. And and we've had the conversation about look, I I'm doing the best I can. And I know it's been really up and down and actually more downs than ups. And, you know, when that when that kind of thing happens, I'm always looking, let's find someone else for you that might be able to help. And and I had that conversation. And she says, Look, I've been to all kinds of other places. And I understand that what I've got going on is not simple. And yes, it's been up and down here, but regardless of it's up or down, you seem to still be with me. Yeah. And so right. let's stick with this and find out if we can figure out what's going on.
1: Yeah, fantastic
2: i i don't think we get lots of patients like that right the promise mm-hmm. of medicine is we're going to fix this and you know acupuncture and chinese medicine because people don't particularly understand it and they've heard amazing stories they often think it's going to be magic and you know one or two maybe three treatments and you know the world is completely different and that sometimes happens but sometimes it's the exact opposite like the patient i just talked about and this thing that you mentioned about being connected in that way, being like really open hearted and very transparent. Sometimes that will give people something to hold on to as we go through it, because they're actually accompanied in the process. Maybe for the first time they're being accompanied instead of having something done to them.
1: Right. And that kind of, that kind of care, um, I think it, it trumps the, the the kind of the inner critic that we all have. Um, that's telling mm. us that we don't we don't know our formulas well enough, we don't know our points, and perhaps our diagnosis is, is way off. And and I don't ever want to dismiss those the importance of those things. We we are TCM practitioners. <laughs> because we do make mistakes. Because we do make mistakes. Absolutely. We do make mistakes. Yeah. 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 So our that, that that voice that comes in all the time is is one that I think we have to acknowledge and we have to be aware of it and we have to bear witness to that to that that voice and what it's saying. but we also again have to be able to understand that we are all learning. Um, you know I, I was gifted with some incredible mentors, which I want to talk about actually a little bit about about that in that our mentors who've been practicing for you know decades, perhaps more than we have. Have, you know, make make these mistakes and they somehow find a way to persevere or they or they miss things or they're just flat out and not getting the results they want to we have to be who we are and we have to not try to compare ourselves to to other people it's a it is a ticket for failure to to want to be somebody other than who we are and so we have to stay within our lanes um and develop that lane versus trying to be somebody else and compare ourselves that, that it's uh it's, it's, a, it's very fruitless to go that way. So um, the inner critic is a, is a tough one. As I said, I, I had great mentors, and I think that that's actually something that is really missing in, in our medicine, that when we get cast off into the cold, cold world as, as brand new acupuncturists expecting to hang our shingle and heal our communities, if we do it all by ourselves, it's a, that's a tough path to walk. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was so incredibly lucky. And, and, um, when I first started practicing, I was gifted a connection to an acupuncturist who had been practicing for about 15 years. And she was looking for somebody to help her out in her practice. And she asked me to give her a treatment. Of course, I just broke out into a sweat and I thought, oh my gosh, she she wants me to treat it right. You know? (laughs) Oh shit. (laughs) Yeah. And she looked at me very kindly and she said, all I want you to do is put in four gates in yin And at that moment, I just I just felt it just calmed me down, and I put in the four gates of yin tong. And she said, "You did that, you know, perfectly. That was that was wonderful." And I think that that, that that's those are the baby steps that give us uh, that that she set me up for success. And that's what I try to do with my students is set our, my students up with success. Um, and then when the time is ripe, then we try to you know, set somebody up for a small failure so that we can learn or set somebody Mm -hmm. up to be challenged Mm -hmm. in a way that might be overextended. And from that experience, where from putting in four gates in Yintang, you know, I started to to work with other things. And later on, as I was working with with my mentors, um, one of them said to me a few years into it, she said, you know, Dennis, you're always scratching for something else and for something new and for something different. And and what I wanted to say to you, she said, I want you to look in my eyes. She said, uh, uh, you've arrived. You're here. You're where you wanted to be. You're exactly where you wanted to be. And so enjoy this particular place in your life and the next one, the next one. And it made sense. And so a lot of times when I'm getting ahead of myself or I'm attaching myself to some something that 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 maybe didn't go as well as I wanted to from the past, um, I have to just keep reminding me that, that I've arrived. I'm here and I'm helping people. And the next person that comes in my door, my intention, my Shen, my uh, my whole uh, energy is going to be towards trying to help that person. And that's what the rival is. I've had very wonderful, kind people from Robert Levine in Berkeley to Nancy Noctway and Abigail Saraski and some incredible people that were very gentle and at the same time uh, very blunt at times to help me get better. <music>
3: Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming, or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
2: Yes, and we need both. We do, yeah. We, we really need both, and and I'm I'm struck. I mean, it just rings a chord, you know, sound of truth in me when you say that we need mentors. Mm-hmm. Because I look back on the path that I have followed. And if it was not for people that were willing to meet me where I was, um, take me along, give me those challenges that you were talking about with tremendous kindness and generosity. I, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it either. I don't think any of us make it on our own. I really do feel like there's a there's a community that helps to support us in this,
1: right? And
2: yeah, that's that seems that that just really sounds right. I mean, it makes me wonder about what else we can do as a community of practitioners to help people, you know, postgraduate make those Make those forays into, number one, recognizing that there's something you got. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And number two, there's some blind spots, and let's, let's open your eyes up to
1: those. Right. I think that we are all, whether we want to be or not, we are all ambassadors of our medicine. And if, if TCM is to thrive, if this incredible medicine is to thrive in, in, in our culture, uh, we have to form some... Type of of links to each other so that we can benefit uh, each other and, and the medicine. And I've run into people who have been very protective of their medicine. They don't want to share what they know, like as if there's some kind of uh, secrets only to be uh, practiced by you know heads of state or something. And it, it really it breaks my heart when I hear that and when I see that.
2: Well, there's that thing about business and competition too. You know, if 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 if, if that joker down the street knows what I know, some of my patients might go there, you know, especially in saturated markets, there, there is some of that going on. People are afraid for their livelihood. People are afraid they don't have enough. And, you know, our colleagues and support are seen many times not as support, but as uh, a threat.
1: Right. And I, I'm just somebody, my philosophy, so feels that that's a sad way to live. It's a sad way to practice. Um, Because we, we, Uh, this is the people's medicine. Um, This medicine came from, from, from the, from all the books being open. And there were some, obviously some situations where that wasn't necessarily true, but I just feel that kind of fear. uh, It's not about protecting um, this, you know, population labeled X as, as the only resource it's about spreading it out. So X becomes Y and everything else we get to embrace a larger population of people because the medicine is helpful. We know it's helpful. We know it works. So by, by, by sharing the medicine and having more people benefit than you know, word of mouth and, uh, and the reputation of our medicine begins to grow. That's the, that's the, the success. That's a very compromised sense of, of success if we're just trying to help our patients and not let our other people help their patients. I feel strongly about that. Um, so my medicine is a complete open book to everybody. I, I try to help as many students as I possibly can, even the students that are sometimes difficult Sometimes, and that are sometimes you know maybe not the easiest people to communicate with they're going to go out in the world they're going to be ambassadors of our medicine they 're going to be helping people, um, and I want them to succeed absolutely. Um, anything short of that is is a, a pretty significant compromise
2: yeah, I, you know I, I love your perspective that we're also ambassadors in the medicine and that we want. You know, overall in the culture that people, when they think about acupuncture, when they think about East Asian medicine, they go, "Oh yeah, that cool, amazing stuff." Yeah. Instead of, instead of, oh, that didn't work. I I sometimes have people call, you know, and they ask about uh, my big bugaboo these days is the non-smoking thing. Right? Do, Do you do that auricular acupuncture to stop smoking? And And my question is always, "Well, do you want to stop smoking?" Oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, I want to stop smoking. <laughs> do you want to stop smoking, or do you want the acupuncture to make you stop smoking?" And when I ask it that way, they're like, "Oh, well, um, I guess I want the acupuncture to make me stop smoking." And I'll, and I'm real straight up with these folks. I say, "Don't waste your time and don't waste your money and be really leery of anyone who says that they can make you stop smoking with it. And the reason that I do that, and it just might be my really lousy skills with making people stop smoking. I don't think you can make anybody do anything. Um, but I say that because I don't want people saying, well, I tried that acupuncture once and you know what? It didn't work. You know, I'd rather that people had, you know, a sense of of what the potentials truly are. And so that they can come away from it with the sense of, yes, that that was helpful. And then they say acupuncture. Yes, that was really helpful. I walked out with a backpack from the woods because of acupuncture.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's you know, every patient that comes in for a treatment um, is going to be either an advocate of our, of our medicine, or they're going to have something that, that that compromises that. That's they they go out in the world trumpeting their experiences, and that they're they're at dinner parties, they're in the workplace, they're out there talking about our medicine. And so we have to take responsibility for that by, by, I think, trying to help as many people as we can and being, again, the, the good representatives of, of our medicine. That's what it means to be a professional.
2: I, I really appreciate your perspective of helping all of us along so that people in our, in our culture are better served and, and so that our medicine is better served. We all get better if we're all getting better.
1: Exactly. It's. It's. I mean, I think it's a fundamental truth that'll that you know the Ted Kaczynski's book the web that has no weaver. We are a web. We are. We are in this thing together. Uh, You know, how many of us have been approached by somebody at some point that said, "Yeah, there was this acupuncture acupuncturist who, who," and then they fill in the blank for something awful that happened, or something that they did, or something you know, whether it's a a wrong herbal prescription or, or or. Uh, a damaging one. And now they'll never take Chinese herbs or acupuncture did this and it it didn't help me at all. And we are, we all have to deal with that. So I think we all are responsible to our medicine. We take that, that oath at graduations uh, to, to be professionals and to be uh, present all the time in in the best way we can for the medicine as a whole. So that's kind of a a piece that I, I find, Um, but I wanted to give kind of back to the, the piece about, about, our confidence and, and um, one thing that, that I used to do and I don't do it as much anymore and I, I should, um, which is, I remember one of my teachers many years ago, she would oftentimes light a candle um, just to call, take a moment to call in the ancestors of our medicine. And I teach my students when particularly in the areas of pulse reading that we are totally connected to, to that through our studies and through, uh, through our, our spirit. And by calling in the ancestors, we can gain a lot of strength by by basically allowing that, that energetics to flow into our clinic. And when we're like t- feeling a pulse, um, you know, uh, Wang Shuha and 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 uh, Li Shijun and so on, these doctors w- felt things that and they named them, and they and th- through their clinical practice and over hundreds of years, they were able to figure out what they meant. But I don't think that it's um, that 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 stops there. And I try to encourage my students to name pulses in any way they feel is appropriate for them to gain insight into what's happening. So I, I you know, I, I tell them, you know, if you want to call that pulse the bunny rabbit pulse, call it the bunny rabbit pulse. If you want to call it the you know hopping frog, or I don't care. What you're trying to find is the characters get intimately. Uh, sensitive to what is happening here. Yes, the Wang Shu He system is helpful, extremely helpful, and it's, it's going to guide your, your pulse reading. So, And the Li Gen system is going to, and other great pulse readers like Leon Hammer and John Shen, et cetera. But ultimately, you have to be able to interpret that to what it is and make sense of it. Pulse reading is something that is very daunting for our patients or for our students. They um, oftentimes give up on it, I've talked to many students who just don't do pulses anymore because they feel like it just doesn't help them anymore because they can't make sense of it. And I like students to return to that, that form, to, to, to come back to that, um, and give it another try and see what they're feeling. And, and I try to simplify it as much as I can um, for them. If it just means you're going to get the heart rate um, relative to the respiratory rate, then so be that. Just do that. Um, If you're just going to go from- Yes, enter it where you can. Right. Yeah. And if you're just going to go from shallow to deep or from tense to soft, then so be it. Just pick up on that. And, and And again, it goes back to the baby steps that help you move along. And so at this point, I'm teaching a lot of students just to feel for stagnation. I feel like as a, as and everybody can relate to this that we've all had issues in our life that didn't go well. Sometimes they were very violent and traumatic, and in, in a moment's notice. Sometimes they were over a period of time, where we, were, uh, where the, where the trauma penetrated very deeply, and now it's sequestered away somewhere in the viscera. And so a lot of times we can find that, and we can find congestion pretty easily in the pulses. It just takes a little bit of time and sensitivity and patience. And we can find that congestion and just teaching them to to find that congestion and free it. Because until we free that congestion, it's very difficult to get the results that we're looking for. It doesn't matter what the patient has is, is got in, in, going on in their body. It doesn't matter if it's a sprained ankle that won't get better or a, or, or lung cancer. So looking for congestion is something that's very accessible to our patients or to our, for our students. And it's something that our medicine treats extremely readily
2: it, it, it really does and that's and that stuff sticks around in the pulse absolutely yeah it really mm-hmm. i'm thinking there's a there's a patient i've got I, I i love that you talk about naming pulses with your own you know with your own names I've, I've been doing this for a number of years now on my own there's there's a couple pulses i've come across and you know and i'll feel it and i'll I remember the first few times i felt it i was like what the heck is that all right, that I haven't felt anything like that before. What's the name for that pulse? It's like uh, it's the ringing pulse. All right, there's a pulse I feel. It's usually in the sun position, and it rings. It, I mean, it is like it's like you got your fingers on a ringing bell. And 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 for the longest time, I'd be like, oh, there's that ringing pulse. What the hell is that thing? I try to make sense of it. Maybe it means this and I treat a certain way. And nope, still there. Maybe it means that, you know? Nope, still there. I'm. This is one of these things. I'm still figuring out exactly what it means. But I do know this. When I feel it, I know it's there. I know I need to be really attentive. And it tends to be something that is not so easy to resolve, it's something deep-seated. And so when I feel that, I know there's something deep-seated and I need to figure out, like you were saying, sometimes something goes way deep in the body. You know, it's a sign there's something that might be blocking. And until we resolve that, there's only so far we can go with the rest of the treatments.
1: Yeah. No, uh, ab- absolutely. There's I had a patient this 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 last couple of weeks who a woman who came in and she's been in a tremendous pain for ten years. Um it's she's got hip pain, knee pain, back pain, a lot of the stuff that we would consider kidney uh damage, kidney deficiency, kidney imbalance. And as uh started working with her pulses, I could feel something that was very, very tense and knotted and um in the right chair position. Um, and it clearly wasn't associated with the Ming Men. It uh, was something different. And so I attached it to the pericardium, which we oftentimes do in that position, mm-hmm. and um, simply worked the pericardium, uh, worked the pericardium channel, worked the Jui Yin, um, combined it with the Shaoyang because it's the, the, the place of pivot, and softened that up. Um, and it was most incredible second visit I've had in a little while where she walked in and I said, uh, how was how how are your last few days? And um, I was, was, I have her booked for two times a week for the next uh, four weeks. Um, and uh, she came back and said, well, it was quite interesting. And I said, well, what, what happened? She said, well, um, I don't know if I told you this, but I live with my husband and my adult son. And um, I haven't felt connected to the, either one of them for quite a long time. My son just goes to college and then he comes home and he plays video games and studies. And he doesn't come out hardly at all. He eats his, his meals and in his bedroom and my husband is just seemingly getting older and disinterested in my experience and neither one of them validate my pain at all and they kind of roll their eyes at it so to speak and uh, you was know, kind of heartbreaking story and she said so when I left your office um I uh, the pain felt Uh, like it had decreased about 40%, but then it came raging back the next day.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
1: um, it was really bad. And we've all seen this happen, right? Where you start rocking that boulder, it starts to move and things can go in in, uh, a lot of different directions. And so she um, said that the pain was so bad that she started getting angry. And she confronted her son and her husband at lunch. And just spelled out what her experiences is, how much pain she was in, and how frustrated she was that, that, that neither one of them were willing to, to respond. In fact, I think she said that she had asked for one of them to get a bowl off of the top, top uh, shelf, and um, they kind of uh, were hesitant uh, and frustrated with her. And so she spelled it out. She said she spoke uninterrupted for about 15 minutes to them. And at the end of the conversation, her her son said, "Mom, I had no idea how much pain you were in. I wish you would have told us." She, he said, "I saw that you were that you weren't comfortable, and I heard you kind of complain, but you never really said it to us." And the dad echoed the same sentiment. And they totally got it. They totally understood. They totally were willing to support her once she was able to art- articulate her experience. And as you would expect, lo and behold, she said she woke up the next day for the first time in 10 years pain-free, totally pain-free. And it kind of crept in again later on in the day, but her pain, she said, had dropped down about 70% over the the 24 or 36 hours before she came and walked in, since she had had this conversation with her family.
2: Reconnected through the pericardium.
1: Reconnected through the pericardium. And it was such so, so striking and and we all love these stories and, and this is a story i'm telling here but i could tell five other stories that 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 went a different direction it's about being able to find where that congestion is and at this point in my practice yeah i can name it an ease and in, a, in i do go to the pulses to the organ level and i do find the weakest organ, and i try to for that organ. um most of us are familiar with with creating um a treatment that'll strengthen the weakest organ system um, to to have long term benefits for our patients as we look to the towards the future. But it's that congestion that I've learned at this point in my practice that if I don't get to that, it's difficult to get anything to stick. And so that's yeah. kind of where I sit. And I think that that's easy. I think it's accessible to to new practitioners if they just want to sit there and take the time. You know, oftentimes that congestion is in. The heart, um, we have a lot of situations a lot of a lot of pathologies in our culture due to us being basically the liver people, the wood people, where that wood element energy moves along the generation into the fire and moves into the heart of the pericardium and it congests there. Um, a lot of times it's heat, but it can be other types of congestion as well. We're familiar with, with that quite well. But we see a lot of congestion that happens right at the diaphragm. We see that that, that, that area of the body where we don't breathe. And that lack of breath, that lack of taking a full breath, or lack of cardiovascular exercise, or lack of experiencing and expressing ourselves in the, our fullest, will create a lot of congestion in the, in the diaphragm. And by releasing the diaphragm, we can get uh, our patients to to open up and 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 move chi readily between the middle burner and the upper burner. See a lot of it congestion. It can
2: make such a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. It can make such. A, I, I recently learned something from. Um, a friend of mine—he's—he's he's got this thing. After he puts some needles in, he'll ask people to take a deep breath into their lower abdomen. He'll actually put his hand very gently, so they, so they, they have a physical cue as to where to breathe. And I thought that—I thought that looks kind of cool. I'm—I just started doing it in my clinic, and what I've discovered is, because originally I thought, oh, it's nice we'll get them to settle on the table, but what I've discovered is, it's super diagnostic because if I gently put my hand on their lower abdomen and ask them to breathe so that their breath raises up my hand, if they can do it, then, okay, that system's pretty clear. That's good. I have had people, their breath doesn't get much below REN17, and I wouldn't have known that had I not been attending in that way. And you can really tell how far is that breath, how far is that chi moving down from the upper into the middle, down into the lower jowl super easy to to discern that you don't have to be any kind of pulse diagnostician either. You just have to feel where their breath is going. This is and this is not a metaphor for where the breath goes. This is just watching where the breath goes.
1: Yeah. And we see this with ourselves with people when we get congested. We take that big sigh we relieve we, we we release the diaphragm with a with a big breath. That is the movement of chi, and if we can recognize it there, we can see it with our patients through our treatments when by giving them the uh, greater capacity for for a full breath. Um, I use uh, Ren Seventeen certainly for that, um, but uh, where I see some of the great results that stick is through do Nine um, by moving along the DO line. Uh do, do 9 in combination with, with UB17. That area, particularly combining it with uh, pericardium 6 and uh, GB40, seems to be a wonderful treatment for opening up that diaphragm and allowing the breath to fully move. And you, know, you take notice of this. There's, there's no lung points in here. This is about the congestion of the diaphragm. It's and, and, uh, via a lot of times that you weigh in.
2: Right. has nothing to do with the lung.
1: Yeah, it has nothing to do with the lung. No, absolutely not. It's this is this is our our congestion in the pericardium and the diaphragm. Yeah. And then the second one that I think that, that we can always help people with is, is is the dye. We get a lot of congestion at the dye. And I feel that quite a bit, the dime. Um and it's another it's another area that I think we have to take a little peek at because we hold a lot of a lot of trauma and energy in within the dimide that separates the middle burner from the lower burner, causing a tremendous amount of, of, of stasis. So those are the the areas I feel like that with students. Um, if we can just break up stagnation, we can see results happen, and then the tonification works better, and then the reduction helps better, and all the other uh, treatments that we have have greater capacity to flow and create new avenues for for chi flow. Um, it's 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 available. It's it's kind of a, I don't want to call it a protocol, but it is a little bit of a uh, a a available treatment, that's a little bit low hanging, and we can just go for it. And it'll help everybody. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, when I think about herbal medicine, in particular, there's a very strong idea that before you do any kind of tonification, you want to make sure the stagnation is out of the way. Because if you tonify, when there's stagnation, you're going to probably make the problem worse.
1: Yeah, right, right. And we place so much Emphasis on, on tonifying in the West. Um, it's something that everybody wants to get bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, prettier, and it's really a uh, something that 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 we have to uh, we kind of teach that because I've taught the herbal curriculum at AIMC, and we do kind of teach the that you have to move along with tonification. But uh, there's a reason why the why the category of harmonizing formulas is so helpful. Um, you know, we're Americans. We're well fed. We sleep in safe homes more more times than not. Um, We are taken care of with our basic needs. Tonification is not always the way to go. It's about, uh, it's it's more about regulation and harmonization. That, the the harmonizing category is the category I draw from more than any other category in my, in my practice. That and probably heat clearing, (laughs) because a lot of people generate heat through their stagnation, right? All that, all that friction from the stasis. So... Absolutely. The, the harmonizing category is one that, that we should become very familiar with as herb, as herbalists um, because so many people can benefit from them. We don't always need to be tonified so much. There are times when we do, but it's not, as a whole, the most helpful um, source of, of, of treatments, I think, of, of benefit
2: basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective Herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free drop ship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I think so often people come to us and they've got they've got the mindset of, oh, my, I, I'm using air quotes here, my immune system's weak, I need to strengthen that, right? They think something's wrong, or oh, I need to strengthen, right? We're Americans, because we're supposed to be strong. And if I can't do it, it must mean I need to strengthen. Likewise, uh, because there are so many products being sold on the internet these days, a lot of people think they're toxic, and they need to, again, air quotes, detox their system. And, Uh, So often, these are ways of selling products, and it kind of fits the American mindset. But indeed, I mean, when people come to me and they say, I need to detox, uh, my first question usually is, are you pooping every day? Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any trouble with your urination? No, I poop fine. You know, urinate okay. It's like, well, great. Guess what? You're detoxing. That's built into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so a lot of times it's about that regulation. Because the system is more trustworthy than we usually give it credit for.
1: Yeah, right. And uh, the, it's, it's interesting that you went to the digestive area, as, as we all know, that that is a way to, to rid ourselves of waste products. Um, but equally important is, of course, our sleep. And when we talk about confidence and we talk about our mental well-being and talk about seeing things as they are, not the way we think they are. If we don't get good sleep, we're, we're so far behind the eight ball. It's incredible. And the, 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 the more recent research around sleep, it, it's just becoming more clear is how damaging irregular sleep patterns are. And I'm as guilty as anybody else in, in terms of messing with my sleep. But we know that, that uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what percentage of patients come in who have sleep. as, as, as If it's not the primary issue, it's right there at second or third. Well, a lot
2: of times people have sleep issues, they've had them so long, mm-hmm. they don't even think of it as an issue anymore. In fact, in, until we get into our interview, which tends to be you know a little more comprehensive than you get in the conventional Western community, uh, people, I you know, ask, me, how's your sleep? Eh, it's okay. Uh, okay, in what way? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Do you, oh, so you fall and stay asleep. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> I wake up every night. How many times? Four or five. Oh, so you're not sleeping well, huh? I guess I'm not. All right? I mean, they it it's out of so many people's awareness at this point,
1: right? And and so many of them, you ask them about their sleep, they say it's fine, and then you then you ask uh, uh, to further that that topic and find out they're taking trazodone or they're taking some other sleep medication, which absolutely the, it absolutely blunts the the sleep cycles that are necessary that are necessary for reparation. And the, the, you know, I had a guy come in recently and we talked about, it. he was a young guy, about 32 years old, and, and um, he uh, was talking about his sleep, said, yeah, I do, I do actually really great with four or five hours of sleep. And, you know, the, the, some of the recent research around that has shown that men who sleep around five hours, their testosterone levels just plummet just absolutely plummet and it, it can show up in, in fertility issues now, and it can show up as erectile dysfunction later. I have no problem telling them the, the, this information you talk about a man 's ability to have an erection, and you you get their attention real fast <laughs> yes, you do <laughs> right so um, and and for for women too it's it 's not just uh, the the impact that irregular sleep patterns has on not just our cognitive well being but our, our sexual well being and then not even our sexual well being, but our immunity is tremendous. The the, the hit that the natural T uh, killer cells uh, take from sleep deprivation that is clearly been sleep deprivation has been linked clearly to colon cancer, to prostate cancer and other cancers is is becoming more and more clear with, with with every new study that comes in. And so I'm really working on our patients about sleep. Um, the brain opens up with, with sleep, the, meaning that, it, it is that through the expansion of the plasticity of the brain, um, toxins are washed away from the brain. Our brain takes in about 20% of our caloric intake to function, which means it's producing somewhere around that in terms of waste product. And if we don't sleep we are literally thinking with a toxic brain. Um, that's that 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 cloudy sense that we have if we start to function the day after a night of poor sleep. And certainly alcohol will compromise our delta wave sleep and, and we feel that same thing. So people that are trying to cleanse themselves or people that are trying to make profound uh, progress in their well-being. If they're not sleeping, again, you're are way behind the eight ball. It's the same thing as if they're eating, you know, uh, fast food every day. We we have to get that stuff in order. And just alone, just by getting sleep and and digestion in the right place, a lot of times our needles and our herbs are are just complementary medicine to that part of the lifestyle adjustment, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and I love the way that you phrase this, that sleep is a kind of a detox. I mean, especially for um, people, at least here in America, we're, we're here in America. So we're used to, uh, you know, treating the people that are here. Again, there's this whole idea that I've got a detox. Well, if we can link good sleep to uh, the body's natural ability to detoxify,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I bet we get people's attention more with uh with with working on that
1: right we get people's attention just by pointing out what they're doing in their lives and what the latest research says about how that is perpetuating pathologies and it's uh you know we people have said now you know the that sitting is the new um the new smoking right? And, and, and how the sedentary lifestyle, how incredibly damaging it is and how it really increases risk factors for chronic degenerative diseases. And when we point some of that, the, the statistics and those studies out, it wakes people up real fast. Um, and so th- I think that the part of m- my thing with, with building confidence with our, our students is we are primary health co- providers we um, are holistic providers. We are um, sitting in a place where it is our responsibility not just to give um, the medicine, but also equally important, if not more important, to educate our patients on what in their life is not working for them. And maybe it works okay for them. Absolutely. Ne- yeah, it, maybe it works for them okay right now, but when they start hitting 50, 60, 70 years old, it's a difference maker between aging uh, rapidly or are staying healthy and being able to do the things they want to do, like play with their grandkids and so on. So um, this is something that we take responsibility for in the role as of healthcare providers, a role as Chinese medicine practitioners that we just can't think about uh, our medicine as how they're going to feel better today and tomorrow. We're, we're really thinking in, in much bigger perspective than that. And uh, it's our responsibility. The,
2: educational piece that you're talking about here. I mean, it's so hard to get good information these days. I mean, you you can watch TV and there's ads for drugs. That's not really information. That's a that that's a manipulation to get you to buy something skillfully applied. By the way, you go on the Internet to look for air quotes here information. Good luck with that. right. I mean, there's so many um, contradictory things and, you know, so much of it is actually thinly disguised marketing for a product that someone's trying to sell you. So to help people make sense, to pull some signal out of all that noise, that's a really valuable service that we can offer. Right, and we, and we
1: can't be too soft about it. I think that, that that's one thing. We talk about confidence. We have to be confident in that information. We have to be confident in, in, in Understand that we have to make make this clear to our patients. Otherwise, we set ourselves up for failure. Um, So, you know, our students, by the time they get through uh, acupuncture college, they've got a pretty darn good sense from their teachers and from their experiences and their work that they've done on what it means to improve vitality, improve well being, improve outcomes. They've got a pretty good sense. And we've got to be very willing to look our patients and square them up. And it's exactly what our patients want anyway, anything less than that. That's not why they're, there. they're not there for you to be, play softball. They're there because they want you to, to, to you know throw the, the information at them that's going to help them get better, to call them on well, show. They want to be better.
2: They, they right. have yeah. failed at getting better yeah. and it's caught their attention. And now they're yeah. in our office because usually something else or several something else's haven't been so helpful.
1: Right. There's time to be soft so, and nurturing. So, so
2: they're, they're looking for this stuff, right?
1: Yeah. There's times to be soft and nurturing and understanding and empathetic. And, and, um, and there's times to say, this is not acceptable for you. I, I'm a veteran and I go to the VA. Um, and one of the best doctors I've ever had in my life was a VA doctor who asked me about my diet. And I told him and he said, that's not working for you. You're eating far too much rice. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm half Asian. I've been eating a lot of rice my whole entire life. And um, he held out his hand and kind of cupped it. And he said, this is as much rice as you get. And he, and he said, a handful of rice. Outside of that, your carbohydrate levels or uh, intake is far too high. And you're going to mess yourself up. And it made sense. Um, and he said in a way that I'll, I'll spare you the, how uh, brutal he was with it. But I mm-hmm. learned he got your attention I'll never forget that doctor I'll never forget that visit I'll never forget that talk and so I'd taken that that experience with him that was about ten or fifteen years ago now um, I take that right into the into my patients and say this is what you have mm-hmm. to do and if you and if you can't make that shift you you know you're you're playing with an incomplete deck because you're're you're, you're hurting yourself it's a losing game um, so there's I, I think our patients want that. And I want to encourage the the, the, the students and the new practitioners. And mo- by the time a uh, practitioner's been practicing for a few years, they figured out that they've got to do that, that that you've got to be able to uh, uh, be very clear with our patients on what's working for them and what's not. Yeah.
2: Does that make sense? Uh, it You know, it totally makes sense. Um, there is a place to connect with our patients, and that's usually a soft place and and it's important that we do that in that moment to create a relationship and then there's a moment where you can't pussyfoot around
1: yeah right
2: and and i have had moments where i've had things come out of my mouth and and i've surprised myself a bit because it's like whoa who just said that
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: but it turns out it came from because i did have a connection with with the patient it was kind of the voice of truth I'm not taking I'm I'm not saying it's because I'm smart and I like figured out what was going on, but sometimes when you're when you are connected and in relationship, something will get said and it is spot on, it's uncomfortable as hell, mm-hmm. and it's really true. And when it's really true, that rings people's bell. And you'll feel it in the room. When that comes out, like you felt it with that doctor, when that arrives, it's like, whoa. There it is. You know, truth when you hear it. Yeah. And people, people are, you know, when they hear that, you don't have to convince them because they get it with their viscera.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I got one more thing I do want to talk about, you because I wanted to bring up a few things that when you, when you broach the subject with me about confidence, um, one other observation I've had over the years is uh, that helps a lot of our, our students and new practitioners. Those students who become teaching assistants and work from, as a third-year student with a first-year student, those people gain confidence really fast. They, 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 they acknowledge what they're doing is that they're acknowledging what they know, they're acknowledging where they came from, and they're helping other people learn. And I know that for myself, when I help uh, new practitioners, which I, I make myself pretty available to my former students, it's a confidence builder. And I know that for those students who are TAs, they gain confidence much more quickly than, than, than other students do. It, it, it just, helping people build confidence, um, in, uh, whether it's as a practitioner or as a student helping other students. So I encourage people to share what they know to give that information. I think students do that pretty well naturally, but in, in a more formal setting as a TA, that, that's a great uh, place of power. Yeah, for their own self.
2: That makes so much sense. I mean, so often it's easy to see, oh, here's what I don't know. Here's where I'm not confident. Here's where I don't have it yet. Here's where, I mean, you could you can run that one for the rest of your life, the stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking back to that wonderful mentor that you had who said, you know this piece already.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't have to worry about it. There's a piece that you know. To, to know what we know is really important. And I, and I suspect many of us overlook it. I know I do. Yeah. I'm happy we're having this conversation because it reminds me oh, yeah, there is a foundation. I don't want to get cocky about it and let my ego think it's all smart and intelligent. At the same time, I want my heart to be able to rest a little more comfortably. Yeah. Knowing that there are some things that it's not that I should forget about them, but I can just take some confidence and some rest in knowing there's a piece that's in place. I, I just need to keep it well-oiled.
1: Yeah. I remember about five years after I practiced, I was in practice. Um, one time I called Robert Levine to help me with the herbal formula. And he said, you know, Dennis, I I got just the guy who I think can, can who has the answer for you. He um, goes, I, I don't know that I have the right answer for you. So he says, so let me give you his number. And he read off the number and it was my number. Yeah. <laughs> And he said, Dennis, you, you trust yourself. You know this information. Go ahead and, and go for it. And uh, that was, it was very clever. He's a very clever guy and extremely helpful. And he knows when the fruit is ripe and it's time to just let it do its thing. So it's, uh, that was great. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Got to know when the fruit is ripe.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we have to deal with our patients too. Sometimes we have to tell our patients, you, you know, I, I would like you to to put off making your next appointment. And let yourself go out there and, and, and experience wh- where you are right now. And if something comes up, by all means, give me a call in a month. Give me a call in six months or a year. Um, but let's just sort of see where you're at. Let's see how, how things have come to the fruition that we want them to come to. Right?
2: Yeah. Boy, that that takes some confidence, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I,
2: I I would like to circle back to one more thing. Okay. And it's something that you mentioned earlier. You said something about bearing witness to the voice of criticism.
1: Yeah. I'd like to hear a little more about that. Who's your biggest critic? It's yourself. We are, we hold ourselves to such high standards. We notice every, if we're honest, we notice every single, um, Misfiring, we notice every single point of our own being, professionally, personally, all of that, and so we have to have that that awareness and that honesty, and be willing to go there, and say, yeah, I, I kind of dropped the ball in this situation, or I gave it my best and it wasn't quite good enough, and all those things may be very, very true, and we have to to really be clear on on on. Acknowledging our humanity, or our humanness, right? And so with that, um, you, you know, we can celebrate our successes, but don't celebrate too long. And we should recognize our shortcomings, but don't dwell on those too long and continually learn. Um, I hope that that, that I'm not going to bore people to, to tears with this, but um, uh, when the San Francisco 49ers won the Super Bowl for the first time, And back in the early 80s, I remember Joe Montana uh, working the 49ers offense in the final seconds of the football game trying to get a touchdown because they were four four points behind in the game. And at one point in the the drive downfield, he uh, completes a 20-yard pass, and he just basically uh, kind of trots up there for the next play without any emotional shift and the very next play he gets sacked for a 20-yard loss and he and he gets up off the off the grass and he's got the exact same look on his face in both plays all he has is what's in front of him he learns from that and then and then eventually they get really close to a touchdown and the team goes into a huddle and at one point the seconds are winding down to the final seconds of the game. There's still four points down, but the, but the touchdown is right there in front of them. And at one point, he actually, from the huddle, pokes his head up above the huddle. And all the players are looking like, what are you doing? And he says to his players, hey, look, across the end zone. There's John Candy, the famous comedian. He was so present in the moment that <laughs> clarity <laughs> – the, the clarity of just the moment was, was all he wanted to, to, to be with and, and would deal with. And, and he noticed John Candy over there. And on the next play, he threw a touchdown that won the 49ers their first Super Bowl. And I think that that kind of presence of mind and willingness to, to succeed and willingness to to uh, fumble the ball or, or fail are are part of our practice. It's part of being professional. If if you have a thin skin, it's it's going to be very difficult, and so that's kind of I mean is 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 uh, is we have to be just very clear on witnessing the experience we're having in this moment. If I'm feeling really tense and I'm feeling really knotted up, or I'm feeling really bummed out about something, just sit with it and pay attention to it. And by doing that, we create the fluidity, the emotional fluidity that gives rise to that. Um, emotional and professional resilience does, does that make sense it you know it totally makes
2: sense and this is the first time in 20 years that I've heard a football story and metaphor used to explain Chinese medicine and man it totally makes sense. oh michael sense. take one, one of my great.
1: within a three hour class you'll get about four of those I think <laughs> I have to a
2: football fan are you uh,
1: well I, I think that there's a lot of lessons as a as somebody who's who coaches athletics and and I, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of similar when we we're talking about a the intensity of chi in those situations, and by ob- observing people when they're in, whether it's, it doesn't have to be football, it can be it can be music, it can be any it can be art is is, is just riddled with with wonderful metaphors uh, that apply to Chinese medicine. We are not talking about something so specialized like like brain surgery. We're talking about something you know, but, that
2: is you know. But e- but even in brain surgery,
1: are mm-hmm.
2: we thinking you know or football or Chinese medicine? That ability to come back again to this moment, a distracted, whatever, again to this moment, to be able to come back,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, with what you got, right, and see what you got, and and you know, I, I love that story of he gets, he completes a twenty yard pass, no change in affect, gets sacked
1: for twenty yards, no change in affect, just present. That's walking the path between yin and yang. That's the way I see that not too excited, not good, get, not getting down on yourself. You know, that, 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 that S line that, 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 that uh, is the center, the balance point of the Tai Chi. That's the path. That's the line we have to walk one foot in the Yin, one foot in the Yang.
2: Well, you know, that's what we began this conversation with and mm-hmm. it's probably a good spot to end it.
1: Yeah, it. Sounds fantastic. Thank you, Michael. This was fun. Yeah, it was
2: fun. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Michael.
2: the voices of our community.